Welcome to the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. We come to you weekly from Shilling Speakers Toastmasters Club. An online club with global membership in District 91 in the UK. Welcome to the Shilling Speakers podcast for this week. I'm Philippa Gray and with me are Paul Omani and Pat Caslin. And this week we'll kick off by asking Pat, what big thoughts have you had this week? It's been an interesting week, Philippa and Paul. This week... I learned an awful lot about running meetings. I don't know if anybody has had cause to look at the constitution of their club, the standard form of constitution of the club, but in it, the procedure for running meetings is governed by Robert's Rules of Order. This is an ancient document, but it's in its 12th edition, and it sets down the procedures for running meetings properly. And I've been to loads of meetings of clubs and of societies and other places where you sometimes get a feeling that meetings are shut down, people don't get the right to speak, you're not really sure of what the proper protocols are. But I'll talk about that in the soapbox in the third part of this speech. So Paul, what's your big idea this week? It was also about meetings. Meetings, bloody meetings. I went to conferences last weekend. I went to two of them. I had two devices. One device was my laptop. I was at the District 91 annual conference and I spent rather a large amount of time there. And at the same time, I was tuned in on my smartphone via YouTube to the District 71 semi-final speech contests. And there were four speech contests. That means eight semi-final contests, if if my maths is correct. And so I had a split personality, but here's the big idea that I got from it. And it was all about collaborations between clubs. I've been getting to know a club in District 91 called Sussex Online Speakers. Easy to remember, SOS. I went to their meeting after the conference. I went to them last night. Also found Antonia at their meeting. So you had two people from Schilling with, I forget how many people, a whole lot of them from uh, Sussex Online Speakers. And it, it really did feel like as if there was a collaborative uh, atmosphere going on there. Now, it wasn't an official joint club meeting, but it put me in mind of the, the, the power, the advantages of interclub meetings. And then last night, last night was Tuesday, Monday night was SOS, Tuesday was Blarney Club meeting. Who was at Blarney Club meeting last night? None other than Antonia Harrison, who's the vice president for public relations in that club. But also, who else was there from Schilling? Anyway, there were people from other clubs, let's just say. And the whole thing gave me this idea that the power of a club is magnified if it has a special relationship with another club. There's cross-fertilization of some sort going on. There are opportunities for people to speak at other, outside their own club, to a different audience, to a meeting. So let's say it's Schilling and sometime over the next, for the next three months, Schilling is going to in some way connect with a particular other club. 
like Sussex. Not to speak against Wessex, not to speak against Kent, all of whom are candidates in my book for collaborations with, but just to say that isn't it, Pat, isn't it quite a nice, nasty idea to think that there's a relationship, like a town twinning or something like that going on? That's my big, that's my big thought, guys. Oh, yes, I was so wrapped up in my own thoughts that I almost forgot to say, Philippa, have you had any thoughts at all this week, big ones or little ones? Thank you, Paul. Not sure how you guessed. I thought you'd let me off the hook there for a few minutes, but I have had no big thoughts this week. Uh, last week was all about politics. Results are in. I came second, which is absolutely fine. I shall try again next year. I think I've been unwinding. I was at the District 91 conference. Um, in my case, I had a very small background role. So I was in it on two different devices. So I could both keep an eye on the um, message and community boards and actually listen into the speeches. So that was good fun. But I realized, oh, about this time yesterday, I hadn't actually written down anything in my book of inspiration for the week. And then I thought, maybe it's time I have my own unique, original big thought. And so far, no, nothing's happened. And I'm starting to think from a philosophical point of view, is it possible to have an original thought? I mean, somebody said quite a while ago, Western philosophy is just footnotes to Plato, which I'm not going to argue about. And if I do have an original thought, well, you know, I know enough history and a little bit of philosophy, I can sort of trace it back and say, oh, yeah, but that was a bit inspired by Plato or Nietzsche or whatever. I'm undecided at the moment. Shall I pursue this idea of having an original thought or shall I, um, oh, reset everything for next week and hope to have come across somebody else's big thought? There we are. That's me for the week. Oh, that's super. That's super. If I were you, I'd give up the search for a thought that no human being in the whole of history has ever had. I'm avoiding using the word unique. I am definitely urging you, give up on that because it'll take you 500,000 lifetimes in order to check to make sure nobody else has had that thought. I give up on that. And just before we finish our first part of our episode this week, Pat is itching to get a last word in. Pat, what's your last word? I don't think we're looking for original thought, but I think we're looking for the big thought. What's the important thing? So it doesn't need to be original, but it does need to be something that exercised you. Okay, thank you, Pat. Thank you very much. I obviously better drop out of this round because I never have any big thoughts. All my thoughts are small, weeny ones, really. Weeny ones. They come so quickly. They flash by. I forget most of them. Okay, guys, that's the end of uh, part one. Well done. Part two is... Oh, Philippa, you're going to interview me? Yes. Paul, I want to start. I hope you're in a confessional mood. Um, oh, I'm in a box. I'm in a box. Yep, right. Without incriminating yourself or anybody else too much, 
What is your biggest mistake in a Toastmasters meeting? It turned out to be my greatest success, but it was a horrendous mistake to make at the time. I was Topics Master in Blarney Toastmasters, and the general rule was in Blarney, we don't ask guests topics. Can't remember why it was in a, in a face to face meeting. I call this person to speak. I think he's a member in another club. I ask him, he answers. In the middle of uh, asking him the question or whatever it was, I get all these signs from the front row, people saying, no, 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 Paul, that's terrible. Anyway, I didn't know what was going on. I thought he was an experienced Toastmaster. He did great. Soon as we got to the break, I had people saying, Paul, look what you did, it's terrible. The guy came up to me and he said, you know, if, if you hadn't asked me a question, I'd have left at the break. I'm sociophobic. I'm, um, so I have social anxiety. I don't speak in groups ever. That's the first time I've spoken in a group in years. The rest is huge success story. That was my biggest faux pas, which turned out to be the guy subsequently became our uh, director of finance, our vice president for finance. Uh, uh, phenomenal guy, and, and I don't mind naming him Frank Bozak. Fantastic guy. Right. Ooh, that's interesting. I've made a few faux pas and they have not turned out to be uh, successes, but we will move on swiftly. I know from listening to you in meetings, you love poetry. When you write a poem, do you aim for a feeling or do you aim for precision in language? Does that question even make sense? Oh, terrific question. Precision in language. That's something I aim for. I feel that is capturing exactly how I feel, whether it's a really strong technical subject or just some lightweight, amusing thoughts. Are, um, Can I give you an example? Can yes, I give you an example? This is the poem I wrote yesterday, and this is the first uh, line in it. Light as a feather that fails to excite the hippopotamus in my mind's eye. Light as a feather that fails to excite the hippopotamus in my mind's eye. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Is, um, yeah, that. I like poems that sort of start off in one direction, then don't go in the way you expect, that really make you sit up. And yes, that uh, fulfilled that criteria in buckets. <laughs> so thank you, Paul. Have you completed the poem or is it a uh, work in progress? I've completed the poem. Yeah. First draft. Right. Do you want to hear the last line? Go on then. It's the way verse is written. It's the way verse is written. Right. That is intriguing. I don't know if you've told us before, how often do you write poetry? How many poems a week do you write? No, I haven't an answer for that yeah. at all, because there are weeks and weeks and weeks when I don't write a poem, but I simply do research. I do research when I don't ever get writer's block. 
I do research. Ooh. Again, that's, that's an answer I didn't expect. How, how do you research a poem? Are you looking for clever rhythms, rhymes? No? No, you have cups of tea with strangers. You watch the shape of a blackbird as it reminds you of a thrush or confuses you. You, um, all life is research for poetry. Right. Yeah, I like the idea of researching by drinking a cup of tea. See, I, I get into facts. So I immediately think, oh, yeah, blackbirds and thrushes are closely related. So, you know, I think I've run out of questions. No, you haven't. haven't. Oh, right. No, you haven't. You must ask two more questions. Doesn't matter what they are. Right. Oh, you've got all those books behind you that I can see. What's the most recent book purchase? I guess it's, if I, I'm talking about a physical book, it's got to be, what is it? The seven or eight types of stories that exist. The eight forms of poetry. That fat book is out in the kitchen. Uh, that That's the most recent book I bought. And follow-up question, where do you stand on the convenience of ebooks versus a feel of physical books i'm on the side of the audiobook if if oh. you really want me to stand somewhere i like physical books because i write in them i use highlighting pens i mark them i underline things i consume books i don't read them i literally devour them to smithereens. I mean, I do all sorts of things, margin notes, ticks, five out of 10. Anyway, all of that stuff. Um, audiobooks I listen to. I don't really like ebooks because I can't mark them. That's probably it. Yeah, that, that's a good question. You certainly sent me back to the drawing board. Yes. I think it's a debate that will uh, run and run. Personally, I like all three varieties, but some audiobooks read by read by the author are just unbeatable. Oh, let me slip in one reference to an audiobook because I met a guy called Eddie Cash, who plays golf mm -hmm. at the District 91 uh, conference. And the book is called Ancient Links. Ancient Links, L-I-N-K-S. And links is a word for a type of golf course. And uh, before we get shot by the uh, editor of the podcast, by the uh, person who controls everything in the background, I think you better stop interviewing me. Right. <laughs> Thank you very much, Paul. That's been uh, fascinating. Listeners, we got a special treat. We're going to give Pat Caslin a box of soap. Pat Caslin. Play with your soap box. Thank you, Paul. Always good to get on the soap box. Today, I want to talk about something I mentioned earlier. And it's something that I've often wondered about as I've been to different meetings, club meetings, not just Toastmasters clubs, but other clubs as well, or other meetings where you're wondering, what are the rules of procedure? How do you interrupt? How do you question what the discussion is about how do you ensure that your voice is heard 
or who has all the power? Very often it seems that the chair has all the power and he decides what's going to be discussed, what's going to be allowed, what's not going to be allowed. And the members are very often somewhat feeling cowed or might be feeling cowed by the chair. This week, I looked at our constitution in Toastmasters Club and it's a standard form with amendments that you can make. You'll find it on the Toastmasters website and you'll find the amendments on your Toastmasters um, page as well. And it says that the rules of procedure are governed by a document called Robert's Rules of Order. And this is a very old document that was produced originally by a US army man to govern procedures within the army. It's been revised it's in its 12th edition. And I had a look at what are the guiding principles in Robert's Rules of Order in terms of how meetings are run. And they're these. Everyone has the right to participate in discussion if they wish, before anyone can speak a second time. Everyone has the right to know what's going on at all times. You may only interrupt a speaker with something urgent, and only one motion can be discussed at a time. A motion is the topic that's under discussion. So if somebody wants to raise something, they ask to table a motion. So when you table a motion, you have started a discussion and your motion should be clear as to what it's about. Before you can table a motion, you need to get recognition by the chair of the meeting. So the chair will invite you to speak. You pr present your motion. And then if the meeting is to discuss it, it needs to be seconded. So it's not just you standing up and saying, I want to discuss this and I insisted, somebody else must need to discuss it as well. And if you get a seconder, well then the motion must be taken. And then how do you decide whether, can the motion be taken as you present it or can it be amended? Well, yes, it can be amended if somebody proposes to add words or strike words or insert words. And the meeting then decides on can the motion be amended? And that is a majority vote of the meeting. Can you kill a motion? Yes, you can. If the meeting decides um, to kill it, that's a majority vote. Now, there are things though that affect the right of speakers to be heard. There are things that affect the right of people to participate. And there are things and so, for example, closing a meeting has got the right, affects the right of people to participate and bring up other motions. So these things require a two-thirds majority of the members voting at, and attending at the meeting. I should also wonder, ask you, do you, what number of people do you need to have at a meeting in order for it to be valid? You need to have a quorum. And a quorum is half of the members, active members of the club. So if you've got half of the active members of the club present, you have a quorum. And the votes then are a half or a majority is a half plus one of the members present at the meeting, the members present at the meeting now, rather than the, all of the members of the club. And this is important. So 
when you go to meetings of Toastmasters, and if you find that there is a chair that is not prepared to listen to you, if you find that your voice is not being heard at a general meeting, if you find that you wish to change the discussion or introduce something to be discussed, you have rights under the constitution of your club to do all of these things and they're important rights. But it's important that you understand those rights and that you understand how to use them and you understand how they can be used by the chair and by the other members to allow debate or to limit debate or to amend debate or to reshape the debate. So Robert's Rules of Order are very, very valuable because they give meetings a structure, they give them a framework in which to set, um, and you don't have to then wonder, how do I do this? Or can I do this? Or who decides on this? Who has the power? The meeting has the power. The majority has the power. And sometimes for that power, and for that power to be denied, well then, two thirds of those present must deny the rights, the fundamental rights, which every member at a meeting has. So remember, you have a right to participate in any discussion before anybody else can speak a second time. You have the right to know what's going on. You may only interrupt a speaker if it's urgent and only one motion can be discussed at a time. To deny you those rights, you need a two-thirds majority and to vote or carry a motion or deny a motion you need a simple majority. Robert's Rules of Order, look them up, there's a simplified guide online, it's very valuable in understanding how to conduct business meetings in a Toastmasters context and indeed in any other club context that you may become involved in. There's my big thought for the week, and I really hope that that has got of some value to members and chairs who want to run better meetings in clubs. Back to you, Paul. Wow. I have to say, that is one of the most valuable contributions that I've heard anyone make at a Toastmasters club. I strongly suggest you give it as an educational speech. You've already practiced it here. But I'm in a situation where, well, all of us are in a situation where we have a club annual general meeting coming up very soon. The distinction between, for example, active and inactive members is highly relevant to this. If somebody hasn't come to, let us say, the last four meetings in the club, they could well be deemed an inactive member. A member, perfectly valid for distinguished club points, but inactive, thereby changing the quota that's needed in order to hold a meeting. So for sake of argument, the club that has, I'll just pick a small club, 16 uh, members, 16 paid up members, four of whom are inactive, have not been to a meeting in, let us say, the last four or five meetings. They're inactive. That reduces the quorum at the meeting from 16 minus four is down to 12. 
half of 12 is six, so we have to have a majority. So we need seven people at the AGM in order to be able to conduct the business. Correct. And four that, of those can carry a motion on behalf of the club. So for example, if you were moving from a, an in-person club to a hybrid club, four of your 16 could carry that motion to move from inactive to hybrid. And I would urge all clubs actually to look at their constitution and to see whether they are in-person clubs, are they hybrid clubs or are they online clubs? Now, I understand that some derogation may have been given by Toastmasters International during the pandemic to automatically go to online. But when we get back to normality, your constitution will say what kind of club you are. And one extra point, one extra point to add in. People in your club who are inactive, what needs to be done about them? Well, I have a suggestion. You need to coax them back into activity. In other words, you don't want to have inactive members, really. You Remind them of their Toastmasters pledge, Paul. A pardon? Remind them of their Toastmasters well, pledge. Uh, you can use any lever you like. As far as I'm concerned, I promise people pints of Guinness if they come to club meetings. Okay. Yeah, I think you have to allow a bit of leeway. It's all very well, us three sitting here on a Wednesday afternoon saying everybody's got to participate. We've got a few members at Schilling who, who work, whose work life has sort of taken an unexpected turn and they simply can't. Either it's something trivial, like they suddenly have to work Wednesday evenings or they get a promotion and they simply don't have time at the moment. So, yeah, you have to cut them a bit of uh, leeway. Oh, well, wait, there's a misunderstanding here then. The, the key... Th the, an inactive member is still an active is still a member of the club. Yeah. I mean, there's not a question of expelling them from a club or anything horrid like that. It just means that if you haven't been to a club meeting for it isn't quite defined, but and a club doesn't need to consider it. If you haven't been to a club meeting for X number of meetings, you are inactive. And that means that you, it changes the uh, number of people who have to be present in order to hold a meeting at which a decision is taken. Yeah, you're and talking about coaxing them back, Paul. I'm saying that not everybody is in a position to be coaxed back, however much they're uh, missing Toastmasters. Oh, look, 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 individual circumstances. I'm not talking about individual circumstances. Of course, there are situations where people can't. But and it isn't it is no problem to the individual if they if they become inactive. You know, that doesn't rob them of any right to become active. They can come back and be active as soon as their circumstances mean they have. And I think maybe we leave it for our listeners to decide, perhaps. What do you think? Pat brought up a great topic, didn't he? Yeah, definitely. Okay, guys, we've done it. Well done. Another we've one in the can. Yeah. Well done. We've, I'm going to turn off the recorder. That's it for today from the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share with your friends.